About one-third of the adults in America experience anxiety during their lifetime, and one in five have had an anxiety disorder in the past year. And so begins our journey today into understanding anxiety and anti-anxiety medications. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk and to our 25th year of Mind Talk. I'm very pleased to introduce a return guest to Mind Talk, Dr. Wallace Mendelson. Dr. Mendelson is a professor of psychiatry and clinical pharmacology at the University of Chicago. Dr. Mendelson, I believe you're retired these days. Welcome to Mind Talk. Thank you very much, Pamela. It's very nice to be back again. Dr. Mendelson, let's start off with the basics. What exactly is anxiety? Well, anxiety is an internal experience which is often accompanied by bodily symptoms. Uh, It's an experience related to the sense of a threat. Um, When when there is uh, this reaction to a very, very specific and well-defined threat, that's what we would call fear. But when you have the same kind of reaction to uh, sort of a nonspecific situation, then that that becomes anxiety. Uh, Let me be quick to say that anxiety within limits is a very important and useful thing. It's... uh, Within limits, it can be important for helping to drive us to to be productive. It even can uh, increase the ability to learn. Uh, But like everything else, uh, there's an appropriate amount. And when anxiety becomes excessive, uh, instead of being a help, it becomes a hindrance. And it it can both uh, be an unpleasant you know, disturbing feeling, uh, but also, in addition, actually decrease our productivity and ability to learn and other measures. How does one know that their anxiety experience is excessive, if it is? Well, I think it's a a little bit of a subjective call, but the the main measure would be uh, the degree of subjective uh, pain, as it were, and whether, in fact, it appears to be uh, decreasing instead of improving uh, one's quality of life and one's ability to meet day-to-day challenges. And, of course, the third would be that it's a chronic thing. Uh, It's only when it goes on for extended periods of time uh, and has these deleterious effects on one's life that then one would call it not just plain anxiety, but having an anxiety disorder. Many people interchange the use of the word or the concept of anxiety with panic. Is there a difference between an anxiety disorder and a panic disorder? Well, anxiety comes in a number of 
flavor, so to speak. And panic is one of them. Uh, among the kinds of anxiety, the most common one is called generalized, generalized anxiety disorder, or GAD, which is what most of us mean when we speak of anxiety. But in, a, in addition, there are a number of other very specific types, and one of these is panic disorder. In panic disorder, uh, a person experiences discrete episodes of what are known as panic attacks, and these would include a, a powerful sense of fear, a rapid heartbeat, shortness of breath, uh, tightness in the chest, uh, sweating, trembling, things like this. That it's usually accompanied by a, a kind of sense of impending doom. Uh, their duration varies, but they often uh, peak in their intensity within about 10 minutes, and they last up to a half hour or so. Uh, sometimes a person will be... Uh, believe that they're having a heart attack or something like this and, and go to an emergency room. So those are panic, panic attacks which occur uh, with frequency and panic disorder. Uh, there are, of course, other kinds of anxiety disorders. These include phobias, which would be excessive fear or anxiety about... <clears throat> specific situations, let's say flying or high places, or excessive fear of objects, let's say uh, a specific animal or blood, things like that. Uh, another kind of anxiety disorder is agoraphobia. Uh, agora is a Greek word for the marketplace, and agoraphobia means an excessive fear of being out in crowded places. And these kinds of people will tend to stay home because they come, become very fearful when they go outside. Um, there's also a one kind known as separation anxiety disorder, uh, which is often seen in children in which there's excessive worry and anxiety about being away from somebody important in one's life. So that's a long answer to a short question, just to say that <laughs> panic and anxiety have many different forms. <laughs> well, I, I think it's important, though, for folks to understand that there is enough of a difference in the various experiences of anxiety, really, that one should not go about the business of self-diagnosing, which a lot of people do and that really meeting with an expert is the healthiest thing to do to, to get a handle on what's going on. Well, that's really true, uh, and it's for a number of reasons. And one is the reason you just mentioned, which is that there's many different forms of anxiety disorders, which have somewhat different treatments. But the second reason is that there can be a number of uh, medical causes for anxiety and also anxiety may be a response to certain medicines so before taking any kind of treatment for uh, anxiety disorders it's very important uh, to see a, a physician who can look for the kinds of medical disorders or medicines you may be taking that can 
cause anxiety. You say in the book that you've written, which is entitled Understanding Medicines for Anxiety, that anxiety does not travel alone. I'm wondering if you can give me a brief answer. I did say brief. <laughs> to, what <laughs> you, to what you mean by that, that anxiety does not travel alone. Well, sure. It's uh, often accompanied by other uh, distressing processes. Uh, these can include uh, poor concentration, irritability, uh, over-arousal, uh, or a feeling of impending doom. It can have physical qualities like rapid heartbeat, sweating, dry mouth, and muscle tremors. So, in, in fact, there is a great deal that comes along with the experience of anxiety. And as you pointed out in Understanding Medicines for Anxiety, depression uh, actually might not be far behind depending on the person's experience. I'd like to talk to you about that piece a little bit more when we return from a very brief break. Folks, this is Pamela Brewer. I am having a conversation with Dr. Wallace B. Mendelson, who is the author of Understanding Medicines for Anxiety. We'll be right back. Dr. Mendelson, be, before I, I uh, talk with you a bit more about the uh, interaction between anxiety and depression, I just want to comment on the actually the, the cover of your book, which is a picture of medicine. And what, what strikes me is there are so many different kinds of medicines that understanding what the medicines are, what they do, what they don't do, is, is so important. And, and of course, I think that's a large reason why you undertook to create this book. It can be very confusing what medication to take, what not to take, how it works, how it doesn't, the side effects. It's like walking through a maze. Well, it's, that's very true. And uh, again, as you say, one of the reasons I wrote Understanding Medicines for Anxiety is my belief that uh, a person with anxiety should be a, a partner with his or her doctor in choosing the right treatment. Uh, each of these medicines has certain advantages and also certain disadvantages. And it, it's to me, it's very important that a person not be just, say, a passive recipient of a, of a specific treatment, rather be a kind of co-partner with a physician in, in choosing uh, which medicine is used. If medicine is the route that one takes, and I'm sure we'll talk about at some point the, the point that uh, anxiety can also be treated by non-medicine talking therapies. 
and the most basic decision to be made is which of these two routes to go or in fact whether to use a combined approach you know you you make um, an important point as you talk about the need to sort of be a a co uh, investigator if you will or or a cooperating partnership between doctor and patient. I, I know you know that there was a time where if the doctor said it, it was so, and it was actually considered rude to ask a question, and really sort of you were being an upstart. Do, do you think that that has changed enough today that enough people are really questioning their doctors about the what and the why of all of their medical care? Well, I, I think that that's slowly changing. I think we have a long way to go. Uh, one of the problems, of course, is that a, a major source of information that a patient can use is, is the Internet, and the, uh, the quality of information varies greatly depending on the uh, sites that are chosen or which, which books are read. So it's always very important to try to... to to get information from well-known, respected sites. Um, and I guess it's, just, it's my hope that providing books like Understanding Medicine for Anxiety would, would help in that process. And you've written so many books on, on different aspects of, of medicine that um, be, before we get out of here today, I'm going to ask you for your website so folks can get more information about all the books that you've written. Let's go back to the conversation about the connection, if there is one, between depression and anxiety. Well, sure. It's a very important connection. Um, generalized anxiety disorder often coexists with other illnesses, and the major one among these is depressive disorders, and maybe 50%. Now, this is very important because the health consequences of anxiety and depression, when they're in combination, are very, very significant. Uh, folks who have both anxiety and depression have a 50 to 80% greater risk for heart disease, stroke, high blood pressure, arthritis, and things like this. Another way to think of it is that uh, people who have both anxiety and depression have health conse consequences that are comparable to the risks for obesity and smoking. Well, we all realize that uh, obesity and smoking are associated with all sorts of problems, but not all of us realize that anxiety and depression, in fact, are just as risky for your overall health. Uh, incidentally, I would add that, that uh, panic disorder, too, a particular type of anxiety disorder, uh, causes distur overall disturbances in mental health as great as uh, those from heart disease and cancer. So, so there are an awful lot of reasons for, for treating uh, anxiety and and depression, and they go beyond uh, just, I say just, the significant suffering that they produce. 
let's talk about the intended use of uh, medications for anxiety. And I know that there are many, um, which you go into in detail in understanding medicines for anxiety. But, but can you tell us in general, what is the goal of taking anti-anxiety medication? Is it to like just never feel anxious again or be able to manage it better? What, what are the goals? Well, you just brought up a very important point uh, to my way of thinking, and that is that regardless of the treatment, whether it's uh, psychotherapy or medicines or any kind of treatment, it's very important to go into it from day one with realistic expectations. Um, it would not be realistic, for instance, to imagine that whatever treatment one takes uh, leads to kind of a chronic state of feeling well and never experiencing anxiety or, or the disturbance in life's everyday ups and downs. Uh, that's not, it's neither realistic that, that that would happen, nor would it be desirable. Uh, the, the goal is to reduce anxiety to such a degree that it, it doesn't cause uh, excessive subjective distress and also to reduce it to a degree that it no longer is interfering with one's ability to to be productive and to learn and so on. So so it's very important to have that as a goal and not to have an unrealistic goal of being entirely anxiety-free. How long is it reasonable for someone to anticipate that the particular anti-anxiety medication that they may be taking is actually going to work? It's going to, by working I mean they're going to be able to experience a difference in their level of anxiety. Well, that differs with the different kinds of medicines. Um, to give you an example, the uh, benzodiazepines or Valium-like drugs uh, can often uh, produce a sense of decreased anxiety, uh, you know, right away, you know, within a half hour, for instance. Uh, another one which is like that is, is uh, hydroxyzine. Uh, both of these two types of medicines, of course, also have some limitations as well as that benefit. Uh, other kinds of medicines for anxiety uh, include the SSRI and SNRI antidepressants as well as the drug buspirone. And these often take some weeks to work. That their benefit is that they're they're not drugs for just uh, momentary anxiety, but rather for making a stable equilibrium over the long term. One of the things, and I'm I'm going to inter interrupt myself because there's so much more information in understanding medicines for anxiety that then we're going to be able to touch on. In, in today's conversation, but uh, I know you know that there is a lot in in the news in the world about the use of 
marijuana and marijuana-related products in terms of pain management, sleep management, anxiety management. What's your sense of how useful it is or is not? Well, it's a it's a complicated issue. Uh, the one has a, a big difference, as you often do, between just subjective individual reports of folks who say, uh, you know, this helped me and this this made a big response, versus what's found in 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 the scientific literature when people have done careful studies. Uh, Certainly, a, a big uh, theme currently is CBD, which is used for, uh, and, or is claimed to, to help anxiety and a variety of, uh, of other things. It turns out that the actual number of studies about CBD uh, is very limited. Uh, at, and uh, the many kinds of claims that it's good for dementia, arthritis, menstrual cramps, uh, high blood sugar, wrinkled skin, goodness knows what else, uh, appear to be uh, overstated. Uh, when you actually look at the literature that's available, uh, the, the benefits in groups of people who studied systematically uh, are very limited. And I, I think we would have to say that the best answer right now is that there's a big difference between claims from individuals and what the limited studies show. But at this point, uh, the jury is still out. You know, as you were describing it, it almost sounded like people are saying it's it's a miracle concoction for pretty much everything and anything that asks you, which is probably why it's so popular among so many. We're going to take a break, Dr. Mendelson, and when we come back, we will continue. Folks, this is Pamela Brewer having a conversation with Dr. Wallace B. Mendelson, who is the author of many uh, books on medicines and their use and how they work. Today's conversation is Understanding Medicines for Anxiety. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Dr. Mendelson, I was struck by your sharing with us that there are some who say that uh, CBD products are actually helpful with dementia. And you, are, uh, in understanding medicines for anxiety, you talk about a possible association between the use of benzodiazepines and dementia. In fact, you say that some of the side effects can impair memory, which is one of the hallmarks uh, of dementia, is it not? What, I mean, what, what's going on here? Well, there's uh, 
there's two kinds of information. One is the, just the acute use studies which, uh, in which benzodiazepines can have many deleterious effects. And a very important one of these, as you say, is decrease uh, uh, memory function. Uh, they have many other kinds of side effects I'd be happy to go into if you would like. Uh, equally disturbing are a couple of long-term studies which seem to suggest that people who take benzodiazepine for a long time, I mean measured in terms of years, may have a higher incidence of uh, dementia uh, ultimately. Uh, in that same regard, I would mention there's, there's a list which is published every year called the Beers List. It's named after a, a Dr. Beers who, who, who originated it about drugs which should be avoided in the elderly. And benzodiazepines are very prominently featured on that list as being considered drugs that uh, should not be used uh, unless there are very special circumstances and things like this. Uh, and one of the reasons for this is the ability of benzodiazepines to produce confusional states in older persons. We want to make it clear that as folks are listening to our conversation today, which we're actually about to wrap up, that at, at no time are you suggesting that someone suddenly stop medication because of whatever reason. That if you have a concern about your medication, the first thing to do is to talk to the prescribing physician, express your concerns, and then really have some real conversations. And it may be more than, than one or two about what is most useful for you as an individual. Fair statement? Well, that's absolutely true. Uh, one should never stop a medicine without consulting the doctor and, and taking uh, appropriate guidance about uh, about stopping. Um, this is this is really true for any kind of psychiatric medicine. I would certainly emphasize that there are many medicines in which benzodiazepines are a good example. Abruptly discontinuing them without tapering can produce a, a withdrawal syndrome, which can be very disturbing. So all of these kinds of medicines need to be uh, slowly tapered and then discontinued under the guidance uh, of a doctor. Dr. Mendelson, author of Understanding Medicines for Anxiety, my hope is that you will come back and talk with us further in the very near future. Well, thank you. I like that very much. Uh, I, I also have a book which has just come out this week, which is called The Curious History of Medicines in Psychiatry. And I'd, I'd be happy to share a discussion of, of how all the medicines we know we hear about, antidepressants, tranquilizers, and so on, how they were actually discovered. Sounds like we have a plan for our next conversation. <laughs> Dr. Mendelson, before I have to get out of here, please give us your uh, website address. 
Well, sure. My name again is Wallace Mendelson, and my website is www.zibit.org. That's C H I B I T dot org slash Wallace Mendelson. Um, also, if you go to Wikipedia, you'll find a page uh, uh, devoted to me, which is Wallace B. Mendelson. Terrific. Thank you so much, Dr. Mendelson. We are going to let you go today, but again, we will be in touch very soon. Thank you again. Thank you, Pamela. And folks, thank you for joining us on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you regularly and can be heard on several platforms in addition to mindtalk.org, including iTunes, SoundCloud, Alexa, the Mind Talk app, you name it. Mind Talk is brought to you as an informational and entertaining conversation as an is not intended to replace any work you may be doing or intend to do with a clinical professional. If you would like to email me at Pamela at mindtalk.org, I would be delighted to hear from you. That's P-A-M-E-L-A at M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. See you next time. Thank you.